Thank you for choosing to listen to the Hope Rock Church at Lake Travis podcast. For more resources and information on our church or our team, please go to www.hoperockchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Well, good evening, everybody. The brave ones. You are brave. You are enduring pain of hearing me nonstop. And I just want to say well done. Thank you. Thank you for... I'm glad. I'm delighted. It's an incredible privilege. Honestly, I've loved being with you. If I can just encourage you, then this is no, uh, not trying to compare of what was, but just to the outside of Marca and a few of the guys that I've had the opportunity just to speak to over the last few days. We were here six months ago. I think it was about six months ago, and it was kind of a beginning of a chapter together, as it were. And I just want to tell you, there's a marked difference from this time to that. And it's not because we've done anything. It's because you guys have been faithful in what God's saying. You're hungry and you have matured and grown into more to receive what God has for you. And it's, it's, you might not see it being here every day. But we were six months ago here and there's such a change, such a difference. And not that it was bad, but we're becoming more and more mature. We're receiving more. We're pressing in more. And we're becoming more and more who God's called us to be. And, and I, I just want to commend you. It's, it makes our task so much easier when you're not fighting people and fighting things, when people are there to receive and celebrate what God's doing. And it does change everything. So we've loved being here. We've enjoyed our time. It's not over yet, as Marco said tonight. And if you're brave enough, you might even come back on Sunday morning. But, but and you have a brave church. But I really just want to thank you for this opportunity. And we have loved being with you. Love your heart, love you people, love the Americanism in you. I love America for many reasons, and one of them is I love to talk to Americans because they think big. You think big, and if you don't think so, just go somewhere else. And then Texans think even bigger than big. Everything's bigger in Texas. I've had some of your barbecue, my goodness. But I really want to say that it's so, I love that. I love sitting with people who think big. I love dreaming with people who believe God's dream. I don't have to convince them. They're in, saying we can do it. We can take the world. We are the world. And there might be a bit of arrogance in that, but we may just shift it to he is king, and we can do whatever he says. But I love that, and it inspires me and encourages me, and it, it wants me to think big and lead big and go big. I just ask you, as I said last night, don't let this season limit you or shrink you to become a survivor. Nowhere in Scripture are we called to survive. We're not survivors. We're not in exile surviving the season. We handpicked from heaven to be alive for such a time as this. And we, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's role is not to help us survive. We're not called to survive our culture. We're not called to survive. Those of us who are raising children in this nation right now are nervous by what we've been presented and what's out there. And I watch parents, I watch leaders almost begin to hold their children back and hide them away. And then I read the book of Acts and I read the Bible and I say, oh, I can't see we're called to hide out and wait for the return of Jesus. The Holy Spirit was given to us not to survive culture, but actually to transform culture. You've got to be out there to transform it. You can't be hiding in a huddle waiting for Jesus to come home. 
And it's easier said than done, but this is not a season to hold on and to survive and to hold out. It's a season to step in and trust and believe and not be fearful of the world because God is bigger and stronger. And God's put us not here to be influenced by them, but to bring his kingdom influence to them so they can see him. I grew up in Australia. I'm a bit confused from where I'm from. I was born in Africa, raised in Australia, and now I live in the great nation of America. But has anyone ever been to Australia? Put your hands up. Privileged, not very privileged. Have you been there? What are you doing in Australia? It was a good country till he went there. But, but I'm telling you, if you can never get to Australia, it's worth a trip. It's a beautiful place, wonderful people. Every major city's on the water, on the beach, on the coast. Great open space, water everywhere. A lot of long beach, no people. And there's 27 million people in the whole country. More people in Los Angeles County than the whole of Australia. Talk about bigness in America. But the beaches are magnificent. But there is this place in the middle of Australia, and it's called the Outback. I'm sure if you've watched any movies about Australia or Crocodile Dundee or some of those bad movies, I'm not endorsing them. But, but if you go there, you, this Outback is just endless miles of open space. No water, no anything. And interesting, when I talk to American cattle farmers... And I'm in Texas right now. So you have the Longhorn, Texas. Well, yeah, okay. I, I'm not very good with animals, so you can tell. I'm trying. But I love, yeah, okay, I will eat them. But no, sorry, that was bad. So not animals, just, okay, move on. But while I'm saying this, why I'm saying this, why are you laughing, dude? Is that it, the American ranchers are quite amazed by Australian ranchers, cattle farmers. Because the cattle farmers in Australia do not build fences. If you go to the outback, there are endless miles of open space. Yet the cattle farmers don't build fences to keep their cattle together. And if you go and ask them and say, how is it that you've got endless miles of open space, but very few fences? An Australian cattleman will say to you, our job as cattlemen is not to build fences. Our job is to find water. Because wherever we dig for fresh water, our cattle stick together and come drink from the fresh water. Fences don't keep cattle in. Fresh water keeps cattle coming to wherever they are. Because it's fresh water that attracts the cattle and keeps them together. Friends, I think there's something of that in the church that's needed. We don't need fences to go up. We don't need to put fences to keep people connected and keep them in. We actually need to tear down some of those fences today and dig for fresh water because wherever there is fresh water, people will come from far and wide to drink of the life-giving flow that comes from Him. Our job's not to put fences up. Our job is to keep digging fresh water, looking for fresh water and giving fresh water to a dry and thirsty people. William Booth, has anyone heard of him? He was the founder of the Salvation Army. And he said in the 1900s, he said the chief dangers that confront this coming century, that was in 1900s, the chief dangers that confront this coming century 
He said, it will be heaven without hell. Politics without God. Forgiveness without repentance. Salvation without regeneration. Religion without the Holy Spirit. And Christianity without Christ. I mean, friends, Christianity is Christ. We don't have anything in Christianity if it's not Christ-focused. How can we have anything without Christ? Christianity without Christ is like a chest without its treasure. It's like a frame without a portrait. It's like a corpse without breath. Jesus Christ is the main ingredient of everything, and we've talked about that. But these are the chief, he said in the 1900s, the chief dangers that confront the next generation and the centuries. Here we are in this generation, in this time, in the season where everything's denied. Pick and choose what you want. And, and I want to be bold enough to say this evening, what about when it comes to the revelation of the Holy Spirit? What about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? You see, we all believe in a Trinitarian God because we see it in Scripture. It, 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 we don't understand it fully. God the Father, God the Son, they all have roles and responsibilities. There's no competitiveness in heaven. They're not all arm racing to be noticed. They, they know their role, and they work in perfect team together. And most of us would believe, yes, there is a Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But the majority of believers today live with a, tr a, 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 a binitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, but the Spirit stuff, not so much. Now, I want to just challenge us this evening back to Scripture. I realize this is a topic that's freak some out and others are so happy and so excited. This is what it's all about. And I want to tell you, we have a Bible that is true. And we've got to put aside some of our upbringing and put aside some of our ideas and put aside some of the thoughts and desires we have because everyone here tonight is in a different place. We've got different giftings and different understandings. We've got different anointings. We've got different hungers. We hunger for some things. We're scared of other things. We've been told things are bad even when they're good. We've been told them they're from hell, even they're from heaven. We've been told all this, and we've seen the weird stuff. But God will not let us just hide away from it because we're not comfortable with it. If we're talking kingdom vision in a time of chaos, we cannot talk kingdom or have the kingdom without the king, obviously, but also without the Holy Spirit being who he's called to be and operating with us as we partner with him. Christ in us, the hope of glory, is the spirit through us, in us, walking with us, parakletos, coming alongside us, empowering us to do the job he's called us to do. Without him, we can do nothing. And the danger of tonight is that you who are hungry for this will begin to run after this. And I'm asking you under God, do not run after this, of which I speak tonight. Because it's not about running after it. According to Scripture, this stuff should run after us. But it better be there if we kingdom. Because the kingdom is about signs and wonders and miracles. It's what we see in Scripture. You, you cannot read the Bible, especially the New Testament, and not see this. 
You're going to have to delete the majority of the book of Acts to have a theology that says no Holy Spirit. Do you know that, with all due respect, there's more backing for strange fire than no fire. I'm not here to preach on strangeness because there's a lot of weird stuff. We say that's the Holy Spirit when it's not. But I want to tell you, I can find Scripture that shows some weird stuff in the New Testament, but I cannot find a backing in the New Testament from the beginning to the end where there is no fire, but most of us are more comfortable with that non-truth than some truth that we're not comfortable with called strange fire. I believe there's an urgency about this hour for the church globally and certainly in this great nation. And it means that we need to reconnect. And the breaking in of God that I spoke of last night, He wants to break in. He wants to demonstrate who He is. He wants to reveal to this world who's desperate for more than ideology and even theology. He wants to demonstrate who He is. And He wants to do it in us, through us, and with us, so it can bring sanity to people out there. So our view of this matters a lot, and what God can do through us in this time and season. So you can't be about the Great Commission and not being about signs and wonders and miracles, because they go hand in hand. It's part of the Great Commission. Foundation of the victorious church, I've said this, is the majesty of Jesus. It's all about Him. His foundation, He's the function, He's the future, the sure, the guarantee that we have as the church. Our only sanity, our only one who never changes. Hebrews 13 verse 8, He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Everything and everyone is changing and will change. It's the promise of the Father. Everything is getting older and changing and disappearing. But there's one who is never to change. And that's Jesus Christ. So we best throw our anchor into Him and we throw our future into Him and we make it all about Him and what He wants through all seasons and He's never stopped wanting to pour out His Spirit and reveal Himself to people. Jesus is the Lord of the church. We are to obey Him completely. He's the leader of the church. I'm not, He's not, you're not. We are leaders in the church, but he's the leader of the church. Meaning what? We to follow him totally. He is the lover of the church. Meaning what? We should adore him supremely above all. He is the life of the church. We are to continue to get to know him personally. He's the giver of life. He's the one who brings life in us, with us, and through us. He's our strength. He is our source. He is our Savior. And He is the life and truth that both supports and sustains us. You know what, friends? He has assumed the responsibility for carrying us safely into His future for us. He secured our victory for all eternity, Jesus. Now, Jesus, the Bible's very clear, came to us, but he also wants to walk with us. We love that he came to us. He left everything, I said this morning, to come to us. He left everything of heaven to pay the ultimate price. He came to us. Oh, that's awesome. He came to be with us. 
oh, that's awesome. And I want to fellowship with him, and I want to get to know him, and I want to abide in him. But he also came to work through us. To us, with us, through us. The two pillars, key pillars of the church. The great commandment. Heard about that? Jesus was asked to be tricked, a trick question. What's the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? What did Jesus say, Matthew 22? Jesus replied, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. To, can I say, love God with everything? This is the first and greatest commandment, Jesus said. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The great commandment. Love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. The second pillar is the great commission. We just sang this incredible song. I don't know what that song does for you, but it just makes me want to go. The great commandment and the great commission go hand in hand. You can't go if you don't love. If you love God with everything and you love your neighbor as yourself, you'll go and be and go show and make followers of Jesus Christ. They go hand in hand. And the great commandment actually came before the great commission because you can't operate in the commission without the love for God and of God. I'm saying this in light of miracles and signs and wonders because this is why we walk in this stuff, not to have results and not to be people seeing us because we love God and we love people. Because God wants to operate in us, with us, and through us to touch a broken world, but he wants to bring healing to us as well in this room. Go and make disciples. You know, God never told the world to go to the church. But he did tell the church to go to the world. Charles Spurgeon said, It is the whole business of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. And I want to tell you, the gospel is only good news if it gets to people in time. It's no good to anyone if it doesn't get to. David Livingston said this, if a commission by an earthly king is an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be a sacrifice? We've made the great commission, this sacrifice, this burden of my life. I'm serving the purpose of God, commissioned by the king of heaven to walk out his purposes, and I carry this weight and this heaviness and burden and price. What if you were commissioned by an earthly king? What a privilege. Heavenly King, price, something's wrong. I've stopped preaching the Great Commission as this burden. It's the commission of heaven for you and I to walk in all that God. And it's the greatest privilege on this planet to serve the purposes of our God for all of us. It's not a price. It's a privilege. We've got to shift our thinking to come back to the joy of being handpicked by heaven. Would you choose you? No. Would I choose me? No. He chose us. He entrusted us. Are you trustworthy? Probably not. Am I? Probably not. But he did it anyway. And we say, what a burden. What a privilege. 
What a privilege. Go with me Acts chapter 1 quickly, please. Acts chapter 1. I know we've quoted this many times, but I want to just read it in context of what I hope to speak on tonight, just for a moment or so. Challenge us a bit, and then we're going to pray for sick people if you're sick. But we're also going to pray for us who believe God wants us to walk in more of this. And if you're listening to the Word of God tonight, then He wants all of you to be in this. But He's not going to force it. And I, I know some of you have had bad experiences, as have I. I've had all the weird stuff happen to me when it comes to the Holy Spirit. I've had people push me over, throw me over, spit in smelly breath, all this stuff to make me where I've just said, I don't want any of this. You've heard it. I talked about this last time I was here. I, listen, I get it, friends. I get it. But because of the weird stuff, don't write God off. You know, some people say, well, I'm just a charismatic with a seatbelt. I'm just trying to say, what does that mean? Like, I want to control what happens. Well, then you're not a charismatic. You're just a control freak. Well, I'm not comfortable. I'm not sure. This is what we say. I'm not sure I can trust God. Well, good luck with that, my dear friend. I mean, I know I can't trust people and ministries, but you can trust God. And the Holy Spirit happens to be not a ministry. He's God. And listen, wherever, I've said this, wherever God's doing his thing, the devil, he, he's not a creator, he's an imitator. He can't create, so he imitates. So he sets up next to where God's doing his thing, and so imitation is there. I understand that, but we don't throw out what God's doing because we're nervous of case of imitation. We identify the two. Because God's on the move and the devil's set up next to him. And some of us are so fearful of the devil, we want to acknowledge what God's doing. Come back to what God's doing. Say, let's differentiate. Who's getting the glory for what goes on? Let me tell you, if a ministry or a man is getting the glory, it's not God. The Spirit's job is not to glorify a minister. A gift, an anointed one, a person. Your job, my job, the Holy Spirit's role is to bring glory to Jesus. That's why the Bible actually says that Jesus said the Holy Spirit had not come yet because Jesus had not been glorified yet. When he was glorified, the Spirit came. And the Spirit's role is not to take the glory, not to be attractive and shake around and distract. His role is to point people to Jesus, to glorify Christ, to help you and me as believers have revelation of Jesus, to teach us more about who Jesus is, to see him in his exalted view. Not to take the place of him, not to become the side attraction, to push us towards Jesus, to get the world to see Jesus, to reveal Christ, to take what God had planned, purchased by Christ, and then personalized by the Spirit in us, with us, and through us. I'm trying. And so I realized, Spirit, whoa, Holy Spirit, yes, I get it, but really don't understand it. So I got a seatbelt on because I'm just not there yet. Tonight, it needs to come off. Not because I'm this, because God's saying, my people, my time, through my people. Put aside an experience. Although the Holy Spirit is not an experience, He's God. But He can be experienced, wants to be experienced. I've had the bad stuff happen. I've had the weird stuff happen. I'm just calling it out. But there came a time in my life and ministry of what I've been entrusted with, where my great father in heaven said to me, you do not have the right to shut things off of what I've called you to because of your experience. I'm God. 
my people need to know what I'm doing. And you as a leader better embrace what I'm doing so my people will. I, I, I just want you to know I want reality. I'm one of those guys, if it's not real, I don't want to know about it. I'm not going to play a game with people. I'm not going to get pushed over and the fakeness and the wannabe and the buying anointings and selling anointings and buying my water from Israel and buying. It's rubbish. It's nonsense. Your heart is good. Your theology is wrong. And you're misrepresenting Jesus because he never was about that stuff. We're marketing ministry rather than going back to authentic Christ, following with empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm not judging hearts. I'm just saying, come back to reality. Stop being crazy, and people will come back to wanting to follow Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times and dates my father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you, and you'll be my witnesses. And can I just say this? To be a witness means to live in a way that makes no sense unless Jesus is ruling and reigning king. Amen. In actual fact, I believe that witnessing in the early church was not a duty. Amen. It was an identity. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be witnesses. Not do witnessing, be witnessing. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. See, there are two different Greek words for power. Exosia which is translated authority, which we see in verse 7. Authority, exosia. Times and dates set by his own authority. We get our English word exertion from this. It has more to do with conferred power, with right and privilege. That's what that word means, authority. But what we also understand is there's another word called dunamis. And that's what he speaks of in verse 8. One is power, it's privilege, it's his right, his it's not for you to know, my father's times and days set by his authority. That's his right and privilege, not your business. But, this is what matters, you will receive power, dunamis, which is translated power. We get our English word dynamite. Now, this is dangerous to speak on this because we walk around blowing things up in Jesus' name. Stop. That's not what it means. No wonder people run. I'll run from this nonsense. I reckon Jesus would run from the nonsense done in his name today. I'm just being honest. We are, oh, Jesus, power. I've got dunamis. Blow that up and blow that. We haven't been given dynamite to blow stuff up. Stop it. It's to fix, to heal, to restore, to bring life, not to mess it all up. Not to bring chaos. We're in chaos. We need order. Kingdom's order. 
When the spirit breaks in, it might be shaky and wrong, but it's always for order. It's for change, not just to express a dynamic, to bring change from the inside out. You can't bring it if it's not embraced. See, this is where we get our word dynamite, and it has more to do with ability. See, Jesus had finished all his work, and he was ready to return to to glory. And he knew that these believers were not ready to go out into the world in their own power or strength. He had already given them the authority, but now they needed another kind of power. They were needing a type of power that literally could transform them and transform others through them. They needed something more than just authority. And I want to tell you, I thank God for the authority He's given us. But we don't just need authority. We need power. And they're not the same thing. We walk around in the name of Jesus and in the name of we carry authority. But God wants to release power. And that's what Jesus said, wait to receive power. Because without power, you can't do what I've told you to do. They needed transforming power. John 14, I realize a very quoted scripture in verse 12. Jesus said this. I tell you the truth. Now, let me just say, Jesus is truth. So for truth to say, I'll tell you the truth, this is a double truth. This is mattering. Everything Jesus said matters, but now is a double truth. Truth says, I want to tell you the truth. Now you better listen. I tell you the truth. Anyone, say anyone. Anyone. Put your hand up if you're anyone. I mean, if your hand's not up, (laughs) we need to pray for you because you are anyone. We are anyone. And I need you to see this because somehow we've got this understanding. There are certain gifted and anointed, and the rest of us get to cheer them and pray for them. But he said anyone. Now, I realize that gifts, I get that, and we could get into all that. Some carry this gift and healing and all, but we are anyone. I'm an anyone, and so are you. And for you to think I'm the everyone and you're the anyone and you got nothing, we're missing the whole Bible story. That's the danger of tonight, is that he's got it and she has it, or he's got it and she, we've all, anyone. We've got to move, like Chris said this afternoon, we've got to move from leaders, do everything, and we are not good enough to everyone is anyone. For too long we've said, we do it and you just cheer us and play for us and buy into my anointing, and I might lay my hands on you and give you my anointing. I mean, it sounds brilliant. It's just not there. I wish it was. I, I wish my job was just to go lay hands on people and give them my anointing and the job's done. Discipling is a whole lot more difficult than anointing. Can you imagine if we just walk around? I'm not trying to mock it. Just, okay, you got it now. You got it now. Walk through the mall. Just touch people. They got it. I mean, that's what some people think. All we have to do is touch them and anoint them. No, we've got to disciple them. Amen. That's hard work. Putting up with all their nonsense and all their issues. It's exhausting. That's what we're called to do. Followers of Jesus becoming followers of Jesus. Not just laying hands on and anointing them. That's all we're doing. Look at what's falling apart through the shaking. They all fall in. Why? Because it's not enough. They don't even know how to live their life. They don't even know how to lead their family like Chris. They don't know anything. Why? Because they've just got some anointing running around selling stuff and telling people how awesome they are. And then when they shake and it's over, and I'm just saying, come back to reality. Jesus did not teach that. I'll tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. Amen. What? What? Go read the Gospels again. And let's stop saying, what would Jesus do? 
Because if we say, what would Jesus do? We get to choose what we think he would do. And we all have different leanings and giftings. And that's the problem in the world today is we, the church, think we know what Jesus would do. And we're getting in the way of what Jesus has done. I want to say, stop asking, what would Jesus do? Let's go read the Gospels and say, what did Jesus do? Let's go do that. Then you can't go wrong. It's not guessing. It's clear. The things I've been doing, you'll do, and even greater, greater things than what Jesus did. I, do you believe this? I don't know. There are days I do, there are days I don't. But I, truth said, I tell you the truth, double truth. I've got to believe this. He says, the things you've seen me do, I'll, you'll do, and even greater things than I've done. He wants us to walk in that, not talk about it, not reference what he did, not talk about what Jesus did. He wants us to continue walking out what he's done. Because I'm going to the Father. And he said, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Mark chapter 16. <laughs> Sounds like Texan, doesn't it? Mark. Coke and hamburger and fries. And I'm trying, I'm trying. Mark, Mark 16, Great Commission. Oh, we always take Matthew, 8, Matthew 28. Well, what about Mark 16? That's also the Great Commission. Verse 15, Jesus said, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, verse 17, we like to delete this out of our Bibles, but it's here. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. Now, let me just tell you, don't go do this. We've got crazy people out there trying to prove they are this. He didn't say go do this. He said, basically, when you're doing things in my name for my glory, you don't have to fear what lies ahead for you. We've got religions in the name of Jesus picking up snakes and doing, I mean, with eating, drinking, poison, and dying. Because he didn't, <laughs> okay. It's also here in Texas, just so you know. In my name, they'll drive out demons, speak in new tongues. They'll pick up snakes with their hands. They'll drink deadly poison, and it will not hurt them at all. They'll place their hands on sick people. And guess what it says? And they will get healed. And after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Now this is what's so important. He promised them, he commissioned them and he went to heaven, but they had to respond. Look at this. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them. Now you've got to see this. He does the healing, we don't. But he worked with them as they preached, laid hands, and, they the work, the, uh, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. He told them to do it, then he left, and guess what? They went and did it. See, I, I think we hear this, we believe this, we might even get stirred at a conference or a meeting like this and go, mm-hmm, great. 
But what do we do with what he said? See, they had to actually go and do it for God to accompany it. I think that's probably the lacking thing. We know this here. We've heard it. If you've been around long enough, you've read the scripture, you are starting to believe this more and more. But what are we doing with it? That's the challenge tonight. Signs, wonders, and miracles to follow us as we live out the Great Commission. See, the gospel, dear friends, is one of power. And it must become manifest through the supernatural demonstration. Too many churches today do not preach the word with authority and power that Jesus promised all who follow him. Can I tell you the tragedy? As powerless churches end up relying on human wisdom to see results. Here's the deal. The fruit of a half-baked gospel produces a harvest of half-baked Christians. Of most of who fall away whenever trouble comes. We need some full baking. No longer half-baked Christians. Not looking for human results. Not looking for humanism from the pulpit. Not looking for concepts and theories. Not looking for formulas. We need a full gospel spoken, preached, and revealed. We need fully baked Christians who can stand through anything because of the demonstration of God. I said yesterday, pep talks are over. It says no longer pep talks are going to cut it. No longer quick fixes and little formulas and feel-good meetings. We are God's people empowered from on high to get on with the task of showing Jesus to a world that needs to not just hear about him, but see him, encounter him, and experience him. It was A.W. Tozer. This is one of the most radical quotes that I quote when it comes to the Holy Spirit. He said this, If the Holy Spirit was removed from the church today, 95% of what we do will go on, and most people will never know the difference in the church. I mean, just think about that, friend. We would just carry on and not even know the Spirit's no longer here. Because we're so good at ministry and we know how to get people doing whatever it is. And we're so good at doing this without Him. We're so good used to doing it without Him that it's no longer Him and it's no longer His church. We just would carry on. We wouldn't even know He's not here. Imagine that. But even worse than just that, Tozer goes on and he says, But if God was to remove the Holy Spirit from the early church, 95% of what the early church were doing would stop, would cease, and everyone would know the difference. Houston, we have a problem. The church, oh no, okay, Austin, Texas, America, the world, we have a problem. We're carrying on, we're running with, we're just running with things without Him. We wouldn't even know. And let me just tell you, God hasn't removed the Holy Spirit. Some of us think He has. I mean, who do we think we are? God removed the Holy Spirit. We need another Pentecost. We need the Holy Spirit to come back. Well, just so you know, He never left. Book of Acts, Jesus promised you'll receive power. Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2. While they were worshiping, the Spirit came. And the church was birthed in power. 
It could not happen, could not start as they waited. And no one told them what would happen. But when he came, interesting response, they all fell to their knees and worshiped God. No one said that's what will happen. That's just what happened because that's what happens when the Spirit shows up. They all began to sing and declare songs in different languages. Oh, here we go, but weird. Yeah, somehow people understood. And you know the best they could come up with? These guys are drunk. Why? Because they're different. The way we can identify is they're no longer who they were. Now they're different. They are weird. There is a bit of wildness there, friends. They must be drunk. And then they were like, but it's only 9 o'clock in the morning, which means nothing today. (laughs) But in those days, clearly it meant something. But what was spoken of happened. No one manufactured it. No one knew. They just waited. And suddenly God did what he said. And the Spirit came and the church was birthed. And not some in that room, all in that room were empowered by the Holy Spirit. I don't know what you want to do with that, but it happened. And then from then we begin to see the church impacting. It didn't just change them. It changed the city. Jerusalem was turned upside down by the empowering of God's people. This can't just happen for us. This happens through us to impact them. Amen. God, I'm going to impact them with clever words and buildings and facilities and food banks. And it's going to be the power demonstrated in us, with us, and through us. <laughs> can't read the Bible and not see it. Even if denominations tell you it doesn't exist, it, it's there. Black and white. How can God not give us power and make the early church wait and then remove power and say, do the same thing? It just does. That's not God. That's our comfort theology that makes us not have to do anything. That's all it is. And I'm not judging hearts, but I'm just telling you that's true. And I've been part of some of that in the early days. And I thank God for my dad's story of he was part of a denomination that said tongues is of the devil. If you speak in tongues, you go to hell. It's not just weird. You go to hell. That's what he got saved into. You go to hell. So he was a pastor and he taught all these people tongues is of the devil. And he wore dog collars. I've used the story. Dog collar, he called that. And Batman and Robin outfits and all this. He called it that. He dressed up like this reverend. Because that's what the denomination told him to do. And one day, he dared put aside the doctrines of his, of his denomination, and he read the Bible. And his eyes were opened when he saw in the book of Acts, and, and he said, in my heart, I long for what I see in the Bible, God. And in that moment, nobody laid hands on him. Nobody taught him to say this after me. Honda and Suzuki and Hallelujah and Honolulu and let's get you going to pretend you can talk in a language you're going to learn from me even though it's a heavenly language. All the nonsense and the tricks. No wonder we don't want it. I mean, Yamaha, Suzuki. I mean, it's, I've been in those meetings. Say this after me. I don't want to speak in your tongue, sir. It's not a heavenly tongue if it's yours. So he read it, longing for, and in that moment of longing for, God gave him what he wanted him to have, and he began to speak in a different language. Now, you've got to understand, that's not just weird. According to what he's a part of, he's now hell-bound. Speaking in tongues is the privilege and the right for every believer. 
I'm sure you've been taught different, but I'm just telling you biblically, you have the privilege to speak in tongues. And those who begin to speak in tongues, you ask them, what's changed? They'll tell you everything. Not I have a language. The Bible's alive. I'm full. I can minister. I'm bre- I mean, friends, it's, it changes everything. I mean, you're not saved by speaking in tongues. You're saved by believing in Christ, period. Amen. If it's His finished work, that's what matters. But you get the privilege of salvation of getting tongues with salvation. I keep saying, when I buy shoes, I mean, it's the best I have, I'm sorry. I don't walk into the store to buy my shoes and say, would you give me those shoes, but cut out the tongues. You buy the shoes, you get the tongues, right? I'm just saying, I'm not trying to mock. I know this is, I mean, I know I talked about this last time, so I don't want to stay here. I know it's freaking some people out because you've been taught by good people. I think even with good hearts, just misguided theology. All I'm trying to say is don't listen to me. Just read the Bible through lenses of what God intended, not what man wants. That's all. So my dad was taught tongues is of the devil. Now he's speaking in tongues. You've got to understand, he's a man of conviction. So being a man on conviction, he phoned his moderator and was like, dude, we need to talk. So the guy came down and met with him, and he said, I need to tell you something. They're like, well, what happened? He said, well, I'm speaking in tongues. They were shocked. What? He said, well, I'm speaking in tongues. And they're like, how? He said, well, I read the Bible, and by the way, it happened, and it's in the Bible. They're like, oh, dude, this is not good. So they said, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I mean, here's the deal. Sign this and tell us you'll never do this again. And we'll just pretend it didn't happen. I mean, are you, are you serious? Pretend what God just did with you didn't really happen. Like in other words, honor us, not God. Now their hearts were good, I'm sure. My dad said, excuse me, I cannot do that. And by the way, why do they call me? Sonny, the... Lights were on. Why do they call me reverend? And why am I wearing this Batman and Robin outfit? And why do I wear a dog collar? And why am I reverent? And why am I honored? And why am I? And, and it, it just like suddenly it all became clear to him. And the tragedy of that story was that man, the moderator said, you know, Dudley, my dad's name, you're right. But my pension's coming up in a year's time, and I'm not prepared to denounce those truths. Otherwise, I'll lose my retirement. Now, I mean, it's his problem, but that was the decider for my dad. He got up, he, he took that piece of paper, he ripped it into and said, good luck, I'm gone. Why? I want to serve God, not man. I'm not loyal. I'll do my best to honor you, but I'm loyal to God. And what I've just experienced and what's in the Bible, that's what we're going after. Regardless of how people interpret it, it better be truth from Scripture. And if God said it, well, then God wants to do it. Our nation is a great nation, but there's a lot of warped theology and translation and interpretation. And I'm not even judging the people. I'm judging the theology Come back to the Word of God. All of it or none of it. Choose. But we can't pick and choose the verses we like and don't know about that. So let's get rid of that and pretend it's not there. Can't pretend. The worst thing we can do with power is pretend we don't have it. We have to take it on. And tonight we have to take it on. Say, what does that mean for me? 
I'm not here to convince you. I have no desire to do that because if I can convince you of it, someone can convince you of it not. But God wants to show you, convince you from His Word. And you don't have to. You get to. See, Western churches, someone said, have been indarkened by the enlightenment. We need to get back to the supernatural to overcome intellectual barriers. We need to rediscover our radical edge. Power for witnessing. D.L. Moody said, there is no better evangelist in the world than the Holy Spirit. Power for signs and wonders. Power for miracles. Power for prophecy. Power for deliverance. Power for healing. And you know what the result is when those things happen? The Word of God spread. So let me give you a few thoughts around this. Miracles. You know what? They come with a message. There is power in the message. The message is wrapped up in the miracle. God wants to reveal himself. God wants to heal. And there's the message of God is wrapped up in the miracle. Sometimes what God can do in a healing is way more than what we can do of a thousand hours of trying to preach to someone. T.L. Osborne said, Only the power of the living Christ proclaimed in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit can meet the urgent needs of humanity. Miracles come with a message. Secondly, quickly, I'm trying to get a bit practical. Miracles come with a method. Now, I'm not teaching you a formula, and I have to say, I'm not into formulas. I'm not into going, and again, I'm not going to fight you and argue with you. It's good to be equipped and to go be trained on how to do these things, but don't get caught up in formulas because they don't work. Jesus never gave us a formula on how to heal people. So when it works for someone, don't make it your formula. Just learn from others. But I want to tell you, we need to become one of the, 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 the values my dad taught me was we are called to be supernaturally natural and naturally supernatural. Amen. What does that mean? We don't put it on and now we get the, 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 the shakes and the, now we get the real, the, the, the Holy Spirit voice and now we're going to, I mean, it's just, it, it, Jesus never did that. In actual fact, Jesus was so amongst the people that the way to identify him was, Judas said, I'll kiss him to show you who he is. I'll identify him by a kiss because he's not weird and sticking out from these people. He's not walking around shaking and rolling and hama hama and all this weirds. You, you're with me. We're normal people. We're just naturally supernatural and supernaturally natural. It's not a put on and suddenly, we, oh, there it is. Now we're going to shake and go pray for sick people. Just walk around being who God called you to be. It doesn't have to be weird stuff. I don't know where we learned the weird stuff, but it's not Jesus. <laughs> So, so a method, there needs to be a desperation. There needs to be expectance, and there's obedience. I believe we have to obey in order to see more miracles. See, I believe God initiates in miracles, but we cooperate. I don't know how to explain this, but I don't believe we are the initiators of miracles. We don't just walk around laying hands on everyone who's sick. I wonder why they're not getting healed. Because He initiates and we cooperate. How is it that even Jesus walked past that man at the gate of beautiful who 
Jesus himself walked past him, the man who was paralyzed. Remember the story? From the day he was born. So Jesus would have walked past that man because Jesus did go past there to pray at the temple. Those disciples walked past that man many times, but something happened and the Holy Spirit initiated something and they cooperated and he called to them. And it wasn't the first time he called to them and asked for money. That's what he did. He was a beggar who begged every day. But they walked past him and that time in in, uh, Acts chapter 3, I think it is, and they said, he said, I need money. And they said, silver and gold we do not have. Thank God they didn't have money then. Because if they just gave him money, nothing would have happened. They said, silver and gold we don't have. But what we have got is what you need. In the name of Jesus. Not shaka haba haba wawa and or honolulu. Listen, I've talked about tongues. We don't have to get into the tongue stuff to get a healing to happen. And everyone, I'm just serious. I've seen it in our nation. No wonder we're frightened. I want to run away. I do. I'm nervous. of That's just nonsense. That chases me from Jesus rather than brings me to him. As it would seem when people were healed, people ran to Jesus, not from him. It wasn't this weird thing. Stop being weird. You know, we're not called to be weird. We don't have what you want, but we've got what you need. And what did they say? I don't believe they even shouted it. They just said, in the name of Jesus, stand up. Not shout so everyone watches. Just a stand up. He stood up and he walked. Now, where did everyone begin to look? Not when they prayed, not when they declared Shabbat and all the nonsense. When they spoke to him, and he did that, and then when they saw this paralytic man stand up and begin to walk, that's what drew, drew people to him. Amen. The miracle. Not the wow. Not the shout and the formula and how to. Just there was a man who was paralyzed from birth who's now walking. Something's happened. Amen. And they came running to him. Amen. Remember the story? And Peter and John said, hang on. You, you think we've done this? I mean, what a time for most evangelists or most healers to say, yeah, I did this. You want to hear more? Come to my church on Sunday, and I'll tell you more. And by the way, you can sign up for my newsletter. You can add to my finances. You can sow into my ministry so I can keep this thing going globally and all this stuff. And we're like, oh, that's awesome. You're awesome. Yes. That's not what happened. He said, you think we did this? But Jesus you persecuted is the one who's done this. They presented Jesus. I just think about if I had an opportunity to address my city once, what would I say? And I hope to God it wouldn't be, come join my church. Come hear about this ministry. You need me. He got up and he addressed the whole city from a miracle. And what did he present? Christ. And they asked, what must we do to be saved? You know what he said? Repent. And be baptized. Turn from your sin and be baptized. And you know what? 5,000 people were added to the church one day from one healing, one demonstration. All glory days in the Bible. The baby church. We should be more mature, growing in more. 2,000 years later. 
We're just desperate to get back to the baby because we've gone so far from what God intended. Come back and walk in it. It's not Bible days. It's today. Same God, same Holy Spirit who has been released to the church, who's never left the church. We don't need another Pentecost. We just need to acknowledge the same Spirit is with us. And without Him, we can do nothing. So let's do things that only He can do with us, through us. Let's lay hands on some sick people. God initiates and we cooperate. The obedience of man combines with the will of God to produce miracles. I believe we've got to hear the word. When believers have the ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, they can respond obediently to the word, see grace and power of God released to do His will. We've got to hear, friends. I do believe. No formulas, but you've got to hear God say, this is a fair. How many of you have had that? We've walked past and like, there's something I've got to, God wants me to do. No, or oh, they're sick, let's pray. I mean, that's cool, but you're not going to always. But when God says this, I want you to lay hands on that person. Well, that's hearing. See, God's initiating. Our job is simply to cooperate. Amen. Remember, we talked about we obey Him. We live for Him. His kingdom was all about Him. Well, then let's obey Him. Amen. Heed, listen. Stop listening to everyone and listen to His voice. So they respond by hearing. Second, we've got to believe the word. That's probably where we, I think many of us are hearing, but we don't believe we hear, we don't believe what we're hearing. Can't be God. That was just me. You think it was me? I feel like it's just me. That's kind of weird. I don't think I can. Not not him. It's me. And after tonight, everything's just me because I want this. Well, the Lord wants you to want this because he wants you to have this. Believe. When we hear it, we must receive it and be willing to act upon it no matter what. So now we're beginning to step out of what we can do. If he doesn't come through, it's not going to happen. That's a good place to be. Amen. Believe the word. Speak the word. I believe God's power flows through his word. How many of you know that? Amen. Jesus, interestingly, did not pray for the sick. At a heading say Jesus prays for the sick, but he didn't. He spoke healing to sick people. He just said, be healed. Didn't say, okay, now I'm going to pray for you. Now I'm going to want you to say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I say this often. No, he just said, be healed. Why? Because there's power in his word. I feel like our role is to do what he did. Be healed in the name of Jesus. Jesus spoke healing. We speak the same healing in his power, not ours. Are you there, friends? I'm not giving you formulas. I'm just trying to be practical here. It's like, don't need to go to another conference. Just let's try some... Real stuff, not books, not clever things at work in North Korea. Just Texans who live in Austin who want to reach these people, and God wants to use you to do that. Speak the word. Acts 3, silver and gold we don't have, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And we have to act on the word, not just speak, act. See, an action must correspond with the word. I believe a step of faith begins the process of seeing God's sovereign will accomplished. Miracles happen as believers tapped into the mind of the Lord and walked in it and acted in faith, not presumption. So we see a sick person and we presume we cannot pray for them. I'm not saying don't, but I think we can get better at hearing what God wants to do rather than we telling God what He needs to do by telling that person. And when they don't get healed... They blame God and blame us, and we feel bad when God didn't say he wants to heal that person. 
Does that make sense? I know God wants to heal all. And please don't pray if it be your will. It is His will to heal. But, but I'm going to get to something. Well, let me get you. Thirdly, there's a mystery. Oh, here's the weird stuff. Yeah, it's pretty weird. I have not heard too many preachers talk about this, but I want to. And I want to say this. Not everyone always gets healed. <laughs> now, Paul's companion, this man who shadow walked past people and they were healed, who sent his handkerchief because he couldn't get there and people got healed. His own companions were sick and he never laid hands and they didn't get healed because of him. I don't know what you do with that, but I want you to know it's not 100% guaranteed. And we've been taught every person every time gets healed. And it's not true. There is a mystery somehow in heaven. We've got to learn to live with it. And if you can't live with it, then don't pray for sick people. Paul's companion... You know Smith Wigglesworth? Have you heard of Smith, Smith Wigglesworth? I mean, listen, we love his stories. And, man, he's a dude who kicked a dead baby across the stage. Try that today. And the baby would lived. And he did this. And he punched this dude with cancer. And the thing popped out and all this. We all love those stories. And some of us are dumb enough to try them and go to jail for that today. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm not trying to lower your faith. I'm trying to help us be real here tonight. Do you know that he wrote a book of life, his life book of all the miracles is that thin and his life was that long. And so we read the highlights and think he walked in it day in and day out. Do you know that Smith Wigglesworth, who God used mightily to bring healing to many people, raised dead people, many things. He, I don't want to be crude, blood was pouring out of his body while he prayed for people. He was sick in his own body, never got healed. Blood pouring out of places in his body while God healed people, he was sick. Wow. I'm not saying that to stir your faith or to de de diminish your faith, to call it real. His own daughter was deaf all her life, never got healed. Why am I saying that? Because somehow we've got to live with the mystery that God doesn't heal everyone all the time. And I don't understand it. My own father had a liver transplant. He laid hands on people. They got healed. I watched literally demons manifesting when my dad preached. I watched people levitating. I watched snakes and frothing. And not when he's casting out demons, just preaching. I've watched him lay hands on sick people, pull people out of wheelchairs. But his own body, he had to get a liver transplant because God didn't heal him. I don't understand it, but it never got him to question God's healing power. He just learned to live with it. And I'm asking you, if you've laid hands on sick people and they haven't got healed, don't be discouraged. Don't blame yourself. Don't listen to the faith preachers who say you didn't have enough faith because it's got nothing to do only with your faith. Where's that? In the Bible. Everywhere. Yeah, Jesus. The, the, the man, the guy, the four friends with their friend who was paralyzed and Jesus was in the house. They couldn't get to Jesus. You know what they did? They pulled off all the tiles and they laid him down in while Jesus was preaching in the house. And Jesus looked at that man and he said, because of your friend's faith, you're healed. Not your faith, their faith. And we somehow put all the blame on people who don't get healed. You didn't have enough faith. 
So now they're not only sick and not healed, now they've been told they don't have enough faith. But, but they will pay evangelists on TV. They will borrow money to, to have a baby. And there's a $500 anointing. I've seen it. If you just send me $500, your womb will open. they got no money, but they'll borrow. They'll sell stuff to get because the man of God said, send me this and God will open your womb. And they never do. Don't tell me they don't have enough faith. They'll do whatever it takes to get healed. It's not based alone on their faith. Sometimes it's based on us laying hands on the sick. I want to tell you, I've prayed for people with where I've had no faith. It's an obligation for me because I've just preached on healing. And then I have people line up and say, we pray for me. And I'm like, I'm so exhausted. I really don't have faith, but I have to because I've just talked about it. And we prayed and they got healed. I'm just telling you, it was not my faith because I just did what I was, had to do because that's my job. The other times, I've prayed and fasted, and I'm, I'm telling you, I feel like I've had so much faith, I can walk through a wall. Now, I can't let it really, but that's the faith. Like, if there was a river, I'll just walk on water right now, and I've prayed for people, and I've tried everything, and they never got healed. Wow. I don't know. There's a mystery. Get over it. But if you can't live with that, don't pray for the sick, because you're going to put them under pressure, make them feel bad. You're going to feel bad. You're going to feel like a failure. And I'm just telling you, not everyone gets healed. And I have to be comfortable with that. And it's not because God doesn't want to heal them. I just, there's a mystery. And if you get to heaven one day, which I'm sure you will if you know him, you think you might ask him. I don't think you will. You'll be so overwhelmed by him. All your questions will be gone. But keep that question to him and keep praying for sick people. But these people who stand up here and tell you that everybody gets healed all the time, not so much. They're lying. They're dreaming. It's in faith, but it's not true. I'm not trying to lower your faith. I'm trying to keep it real so we stick to the plan and not get into formulas and forcing and making and manufacturing and hyping something that we have no control over. Are you there? Who here has prayed for someone and they haven't got healed? Put your hand up. You're not a failure. Give it another go. It's not in your hands. He's the healer. You're simply the cooperator. There's a mystery. If you can't live with it, please don't start walking in this because you're going to destroy people and yourself. I don't know. I know you're not comfortable with that, nor am I, but it's one of the mysteries. There are reasons. I mean, Jesus, even offense, he went back to his own town. Remember that? And it says that he could do very few. Man, Jesus could do very few miracles there. Why? Because of their offense, because of their lack of faith, because they... This is the carpenter. Who is this? They took offense, which led to unbelief. Lack of faith. Unbelief. Their unbelief, sometimes you don't get healed. Offense, sometimes. Faith, no faith. Sometimes faith. I don't know. Timing. But it's not, it is God's will to heal everyone. It's part of the death of Christ. It's in the covenant, in the blood of Christ. You don't have to say, if it be your will, it is his will. But don't command or demand, just simply lay hands in response. And if people don't get healed, tell them to trust God, but it's not their fault. Amen. And it's not yours either. Fourthly, there's a mission to this. See, the major part of the Great Commission, when healing took place, says the word of God spread in ways it would not have gone. If you've ever been to England, I mean, and certainly in the olden days, but I recently, we've got to England quite a bit, and we, we have meetings in summer. We go away with a lot of the pastors and leaders and stay in these old places, old buildings. 
And then we all eat together, and, and they ring the, the dinner bell. Have you heard that? They still ring the bell, and they ring the bell, and what they're telling people is to come eat. Food's ready. I kind of think signs and wonders are the dinner bell. But some of us have made it the food. Let me tell you, when that dinner bell rings, I don't go look for the bell to try and eat the bell. I'm just saying, it tells me the food's ready. Something's happening, come and eat. And I think signs and wonders and miracles are like the dinner bell for people to come eat of the bread of life. Some of us have made it the focus rather than it's the sign. It's the dinner bell to wake people up to come eat of the bread of life. That's why we need signs and wonders today. We need some ringing of the dinner bell so people will come eat of the bread of life. See, the motive, signs are never an end to themselves. Friends, they are signposts. They mark us. Have you ever been bowling? I mean, it's a horrible thing. It's not even a sport, but anyway. <laughs> but you know that when you bowl, your, your job is to hit those te- the pins, right? Ten pin bowling. Ten. Ten bowling. Yeah, that thing. Bowling. But you want to hit those pins that are ten. Ten pins. Yeah. Your aim is not, but you, if you've ever seen there's like little arrows on the, the lanes, those are not what you're aiming for. Those arrows are pointing to the point. You get that, right? And signs and wonders are not the point. Some have made it the point. That's all we want is signs and wonders. Not they, they're the pointers to the point. They're the markers towards something called someone, called Jesus. And so if you love Jesus, you realize the need for signs and wonders. But don't let signs and wonders become the point. Let them be the pointer to the point, being Jesus. They're never an end to themselves. God works. God's works and words are related. Every work has within it a word. Every miracle has a message. Miracles help people believe in the message. The miraculous works internally and externally. And I'm going to just say this. The greatest miracle that ever can take place internally is when God changes the heart of a person. Forms that image in Christ in them. Salvation is the greatest miracle on this planet. And we see that happen so much, but we're discouraged because we're not seeing the sick people healed. We want to see more of that, but there's no greater miracle than salvation. You know, if you get out of a wheelchair... That's awesome for now. But for eternity, it's not awesome. Now, I believe it can be both. But if we have to choose, let's not overlook the greatest miracle we all experience daily. When you lead someone to Jesus, it's the greatest miracle on the planet. External miracles confirm the preaching of the gospel, making the message more persuasive. You can talk someone into the kingdom, well, then someone can talk them out of the kingdom. But this demonstration of the kingdom, you know what it does? It erodes the ground of indecision. People now have to choose. We can be undecided when we are trying to persuade them, but when God breaks in, they have to choose. Yes, or I deny not I'll think about it. And you can see that, friends. If you have ever evangelized and you've prayed for someone, they got healed, people are like, oh my gosh, tell me about this Jesus. Yeah. Other times you're trying to tell them about Jesus. Oh, I'm not sure. When he heals them, suddenly, boom, what do I have to do? 
Who am I? Why would he heal me? He doesn't even know me. Oh, he does. But I don't even know him. He's just healed you. I want to know him. Do you see what I'm saying here? It's not just like, wow, there's another sign. It's actually to bring them to Jesus. I want to land with the model being Jesus Christ. Are you, are you still okay? We're going to pray in a minute. Let's go to quickly Mark. Mark, chap- Mark chapter 5. The greatest model of healing is Jesus Christ. Are you, are you agree? Friends, I, I have heroes of the faith, and I like to read books of these guys, but there's no greater hero than Jesus. I don't know how to say this, but stop reading autobiographies about other people, and let's read about Jesus. If we want the world to see Jesus, we better be more like Jesus. If we want to point people to Jesus, then we've got to be more like Jesus. So go back to what he did. He's the perfect model on healing. He's the perfect model on living life, kingdom life here on earth. And then Mark chapter 5, let's read this quickly, verse 21. It says, When Jesus had again crossed over by a boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And when one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there, seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. And he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body, that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And you got to understand, this was a big moment. This lady had no right to touch Jesus. She snuck in there just saying, if I could just touch him while he passes by, just quickly, then, then I could maybe be healed. And she sneakingly did it. You've got to understand in these days, for a woman, an unclean woman, a sick woman to touch him was un... You, you can't do that. And it wasn't obviously just a little touch because Jesus felt it and didn't feel a touch. He felt the power go out of him and he stopped and he said, who touched me? Verse 31, you see the people crowding around you. His disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see what, who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Imagine that. I didn't heal you. Your faith healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James. 
And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw commotion with people crying and wailing aloudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, isn't it interesting? He laughed at him, you just go out there then. You're not part of this. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in to where the child was. And he took her hand and said to her, Talitha Cohen, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. Interesting. That lady had blood issue for 12 years. This was a 12-year-old girl. At this, they were completely astonished. And he gave them strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. See, Jesus is the model. Here's where it gets challenging. This other stuff's great. Give me the miracle signs. Yeah, I'll step out. But here's the thing. If you're going to walk in what Jesus wants you to walk in, it's not going to be convenient. It's not going to be on a set-aside time when we put time aside for this to happen. It's not going to be on a Sunday morning when we prepared for our gatherings. It's going to be outside of our set-aside time. It's going to be in the most difficult moments, the most inappropriate moments, the most inconvenient times. See, if we're serious about being with people, if we're serious about being the hands and feet, we're going to have to step out of our to-do lists. I've got to tell you, honestly, I've been taught leadership from the day I was born. Leadership is our thing. My dad is a great leader who taught us. And here's what we were always taught in leadership. Any good leader is worth their salt. They're busy. We better put things in our planners. We better have meetings and organize and to-do lists, and we all have them. And I get irritated. I'm being honest with you when I get interrupted in my schedule that I've set aside to meet with pastors, to connect with leaders, to Zoom guys. I go to the gym right now, and it's my only ad. And people, I put headphones on, and people want to talk to me and interrupt me and ask me, are you finished with this? And tell me about your church. And I'm like, I don't want to. I know we can talk later, but I've got Zoom meetings. I'm planning stuff because I've got a to-do list. And I'm agitated by interruptions because I'm busy. You there? Are you busy? And then what happens is I read the Gospels and something began to be revealed to me more and more. Jesus ministered out of interruption. The things that irritate me was the outflowing of Jesus' ministry. And I realized there's a big difference between leadership and ministry. We need leadership, and leadership's about getting people somewhere. Ministry's about ministering to someone and bringing them to wholeness. And may I just say, we don't want to just get broken people somewhere. We need to bring people to healing as we take them somewhere. So we've got to move just from being leaders and getting in the front and taking people to actually being available to be interrupted by people and be interrupted by the world out there that is looking for the reality of what we talk about every Sunday. (laughs) And Jesus' ministry was out of interruptions and he wasn't obsessed with a to-do list. He didn't walk through saying, today I've got to heal 10 lepers, I've got to raise five from the dead, I've got to get to this place, and I've got to get to that. We just read what happened. Jesus faced a crowd who were waiting. Now leadership says play to the crowd. 
There's a crowd waiting. Go to the masses. On his way to the crowd, Jairus comes to him and says, Please, Jesus, my daughter's dying. Interrupting him from what he was supposed to do. Do you see that? What did Jesus say? Get a hold of my secretary. We will make a plan. I'll do that when I'm done. I'm busy here. I've got lots of people waiting. You can see that. Make an appointment to see me. I'm busy. I've got my to-do list and I'm busy. Jesus didn't say that. He left a crowd to go with a man to heal a daughter. Interruption. You there? That's bad. But even worse, he then gets interrupted already in another interruption. On his way to an interruption, the woman of blood, well, issue of blood interrupts his walking. Oh, are you seeing this? Again, the quint essential interrupting on an interruption already. Jesus doesn't despise her and say, do you not know I've already been called from a crowd to go to this daughter? I'll catch up with you. He lets interruption take place and he heals her on the way to heal someone else. Oh, I want to be like Jesus. Do you? Because it's going to be incredibly inconvenient if we're going to walk in what he did. You're going to have to put away some of the to-do lists and get back to his list of who needs to be touched. Jesus' ministry flowed from his interruptions. Same for his teaching, interesting enough. Luke chapter 10, an expert in the law tested him on who's my neighbor, and we get the teaching of the great commandment. We gain the parable of the great Samaritan. Luke 15, the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered against him, welcoming him sinners. And we get the story of the lost sheep, the, the lost coin, the lost son. John 3, we get the teaching of the, the, the uh, when Nicodemus asked him about being born again. It was an interruption to what he was saying. And we get these great teachings. They flowed out of interruptions. I just began to see that in the, in the Gospels going, wow, we, somehow we got too busy with ministry, I mean with leadership. We're missing days and moments of people all around us. Now I can't be irritated anymore. If I want to claim to be like Jesus, I want to live out in what he's called me to, I'm going to have to be available. I'm going to actually have to put some of my time aside and let the interruptions happen and see God in them and lay hands on sick people even when it's not on my to-do list. You know, our church is going through this thing of praying for lost people by name. And I love that. And that's cool. But we, we all have our list. And we pray through our list every Tuesday night. And God challenged me in one of our prayer meetings Tuesday night saying, I'm a father with a father's heart. You all have your list, but there's people on my list that you're missing because you're so looking to your list. I was remembered of the parable of the banquet. Remember that? And the master said, hey, go and tell everyone on the list that the, it's time to come and eat. And everyone on the list had a reason why they couldn't come. And then he said, well, go into the highways and the byways. Compel them to come. Go to those people who are not on the list. And I was challenged. And I said to the guys, we must keep praying for our list. 
But God has a list. We need to be a little more prophetic in evangelism because we're missing people every day that are on God's list, but we're so focused on our list, we're missing God's list. Are you with me, friends? Oh, give me the power. Give me the healing. Give me the signs of the wonder. Give me the inconvenience of seeing what God sees, of listening, of allowing people to interrupt our day-to-day busyness in the kingdom to say we will minister to you. Jesus' time was not so precious that he couldn't give people his time. Not only time, but touch. He let people get to him. We're so professional in the church. We're untouchable. God, get, we literally, some, I'm not trying to mock. We've got pastors who have bodyguards. I've been to conferences where you pay to go hundreds of dollars to hear some mighty man of God come preach. And then you're told, by the way, stay away from them after they preach. Give them space. They're going to come in. There's barriers. You've paid your certain amount. If you pay this amount, you get to sit in the front. If you haven't paid enough, you sit at the back. But all of you stay away from these mighty men of God. And I'm like, I'm going to vomit. I had to pay to come hear that. When Jesus connected with people for nothing. I'm just saying, what's wrong with celebrity? We've gone berserk. You're not going to walk in signs and wonders if you're celebrity-driven, protected from the people. (laughs) Jesus would allow people to touch him, to get to him. (laughs) It's not the modern-day church. It's back to authentic following Christ and demonstrating power. Hello. Hello. I've loved those other points, but I don't like this one. But I've read the gospel saying, my model is Christ. Well, we better be up for some interruptions. We better be available, even if it's not in our planners. We better be prophetic and walking through and allowing people to come to us and touch us. And we're touching them because you can't do this through Zoom, through the screens. You've got to be there to touch them. And you know, the ultimate of what Jesus did was his time, he was available. His touch, he let people touch him. And you've got to understand, in those days, an unclean, I mean, if you know some of the law in the Hebrews, when someone's blood and unclean or diseased, they're not to go near anyone. They're outside the camp. Jesus knew that. This woman had an issue of blood who touched him. And most issues when they carry disease, They make the person sick, they touch. But there was this reversed, the blood, the power of Jesus went from his body and he healed her. He got no contamination from her. Isn't that amazing? That's why he said power. Let me tell you, if he said power went out of him, it's because it's costly. It costs us, my dear friends. Don't just think it's walking around anointed by the Holy Spirit touching people. It takes something out of you when you minister to people. That's why Jesus said, power's left me. His time was that he was available. He was available to touch. And thirdly, he transformed people by his touch. They were transformed. That's why we lay hands on the sick, for God to transform their lives. Can I close with one more scripture? Is that okay? And then we're going to pray. I'm sorry. 
I'm going, it's over tonight, right? So you probably won't have us back for a, a while. But uh, I'd come back, but I'm Sunday. not. <laughs> Sunday, okay. Let me read one verse in landing. Acts chapter 10, quickly, verse 38. Will you read this with me? Talking about Jesus. And this is what I believe he wants to do tonight. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Probably for me the most sane scripture when it comes to anointing and understanding what Jesus did and what we can do. Acts 10.38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Pause. God anoints. Man appoints, but God anoints. Are you, are you with me? You can't have my anointing and I can't have yours. You can't buy mine. You can't sow into mine. You can't catch mine. I can't lay my hands on you and give you my anointing. You have your own anointing. And the anointing is simply the Holy Spirit's enabling to do what it is He's called us to do. You can't do this without it, but you can't have mine and I can't have yours because we're not the same. But you can have your anointing. And I can lay hands on you and I would love to, but I'm not going to give you what I've got because God gave me what I've got and He's given what you what you've got. And as one man told me, that God is a, he's a, he's a creator God, not a duplicator God. He's not going to give you mine. He's going to give you yours. So he can stir in you more of your anointing, but you can't have mine and I can't have yours. That's the sameness. So don't buy mine or buy my shower caps and all the nonsense. Just let God anoint you. Right? God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, speaking of his humanity. God anoints people. That's what he does. It's this human designation of Jesus, his humanity, fully God, fully man. Jesus of Nazareth, God anointed him as a man. People are anointed by God to continue the message and ministry of Jesus' humanity. With what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit covers us, comes upon us, endues, seals, and fills every believer. And power. God's power through man's weakness. It's awesome to realize that, that God makes it available to us today, His power. And how He went about doing good, not feeling good, not having a Holy Spirit moment meeting, not having an infilling and a refilling and all these filling meetings and doing nothing with it. He went about doing good. We are empowered to do good, to bring healing, to bring wholeness to people around us. The Holy Spirit enables us to do good. He went into Jesus went about doing good, not feeling good. To do good, we need the one of the help of the one who is good. Amen. And healing. Anointing enables us to bring healing and wholeness to others. The anointing can cause shattered lives to become whole, healing the body, healing the mind, healing of the soul, healing spiritually and physically. All who were under the power of the devil. The anointing frees people from the devil's oppression. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Oppression is a pressure that opposes what is good and right and holy, and it's evident in your city right now. 
Why? Because God was with him. The anointing is the evidence of God being with us. Thank you for listening to the Hope Rock Church at Lake Travis podcast. We are a church that is passionate about knowing Christ and making Him known in our city, the nation, and the ends of the earth. For more information on who we are, please go to www.hoperockchurch.com or find us on Facebook.